Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your latest WWE episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Getting over is back just a couple days removed from WWE Survivor Series to break down everything that happened Monday night on Raw. Some of the leftovers will make this a Thanksgiving-themed episode uh, from SmackDown on Friday night and some of the additional fallout from Survivor Series that we may not have gotten to discuss over the course of our Instant Analysis episode. And speaking of that Instant Analysis episode, you can find that in our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to find audio. Be sure to hit that up, get our instant first reaction takeaways from WWE's latest pay-per-view before you listen to this episode where we break down everything that happened in WWE Monday night and how they're going forward with all of their storylines. So we do have an interesting episode today because not only are we going to talk Raw and SmackDown, as I mentioned, we're going to reach back about a week, maybe 10 days, and talk about the firing of Zelina Vega, how that may impact WWE going forward. That's going to be the second half of our main event today. But we do have a big show ahead, so I'm not going to waste too much time. As I already said, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show. But especially when you go to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn program. A couple great reviews came in last week. Really appreciate it. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. It's the giving season. The least you can do, I think, is tell us it's all about the five and drop, take, you know, 60 seconds out of your time, hit that five-star button, drop a couple words about how much you love this show. It would be much appreciated. The other thing you can do is follow us on Twitter. Don't have a Twitter account? Create one. And then follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we tweet every single episode as soon as it goes live, We talk about wrestling all week long, some funny videos, uh, GIFs, GIFs, whichever one you decide uh, the pronunciation that you like. We're we're at it all week long, and we even talk wrestling news as well when big things break. So that is enough of an intro for today. Let me welcome in the co-host for these WWE shows around these parts, Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome to the show. Of course, by the way, you can follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You know, normally I think sometimes when we do these Tuesday episodes coming out of a pay-per-view, it doesn't feel like there's much to talk about and we kind of force our way through it. But I have to say, Chris, Monday night on Raw, they really delivered for a second straight week on Monday night. It it has not been the best show over the last couple of months, but they did not announce more than a single match going into the show. And for me, that was great because I didn't know what to expect and I was truly surprised by some of the things they did and decisions they made. You know what Monday night had? Monday night had stakes. And oh, yeah. that matters. I, I want I want the wrestling I'm watching on TV to, to, to matter. I want to feel like it's important and it's important to the people. So that was some of the questions we had going into Survivor Series. I really liked the show, but I felt that the show didn't have stakes. Well, they kind of retroactively added the stakes on Monday, so I think that's uh, uh, it's a bit of a cleanup, but it's something. How about next week, you and I meet up one-on-one for a steak dinner? I mean, that's what they did. They said, you know what? Yeah, we gave you fish. 
It was good fish, but it was fish on, on Sunday night. We gave you a, a, some salmon, some cedar plank, you know, roasted salmon. We're going to give you the beef Monday night on Raw. No bread, no water. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. That's all we want. That's what we got. And we're going to get into it with the main event. Because the main event is all about the beef. As was Raw, as you mentioned, on Monday night, WWE decided to, you know, retroactively, Chris, almost, make the Survivor Series team win worth something. Yep. Which, which, and they did it honestly for both the men and women, just in different ways. Mm -hmm. But I just found it hysterical that they kind of did that. It's great because it's something they should have done before the match for both teams. And we discussed it multiple times where, especially on years where you're struggling potentially to build Survivor Series, uh, you don't have NXT as an invasion. Maybe there's not a lot of momentum behind them because the teams just got formed one month earlier after the WWE draft. You can put something on the line and give these teams and people reasons to work together. So instead of doing it beforehand, they did it after the fact for the winner. Then, then after they did that, you know, a little bit of criticism, they kind of softened the reward by giving two additional people opportunities. So what I'm talking about here is the five victors from the men's team, and they were there were five of them because they clean swept. Uh, I don't even think that's the right way you uh, change that word around, but they got a clean sweep. They registered a clean sweep of the SmackDown team. So basically, they're all in the ring with Adam Pierce. Uh, AJ Styles is hysterical with a Captain C now on his jacket <laughs> and on his hood. Uh, Riddle's cracking me up, hysterical. And all of them are stating their case for why they deserve to be the number one contender for the WWE Championship now that they're Team One Survivor Series. Which, again, for Pierce to be in the ring and kind of just have five dudes there, I the expectation for me was, hey, we're just going to get a fatal five-way match. And the winner will be the number one contender. Right. And that totally would have been fine. And you know what? Many years, many past versions of the WWE creative team, I think that's what we would have gotten. That's not what we got here. Instead, Braun Strowman got pissed off that he was not automatically the number one contender, headbutted Adam Pierce. Uh, he ejected Braun out of the building and said he would fire him if given the ability. And then, you know, we're waiting for Adam Pierce to make a declaration on what exactly the booking is going to be in order for us to figure out a number one contender. And while we're waiting for that, Bobby Lashley and Randy Orton separately grab his ear to get, you know, uh, uh, him on the side to kind of make their case, I guess, for why they deserve opportunities. Pearson ends up setting three singles matches with the winners from those matches entering into a triple threat next week on Raw to become the number one contender for the WWE Championship. Chris, this is the stuff I like. It is clear, qualifying matches. It promotes the next show, gives you what should be the main event of that show. I hope they don't screw up and put it at like nine o'clock or something. That should be the main event. It's a number one contendership that you're deciding for the WWE Championship. Now, we're going to get to the individual matches. We'll get to how we think it might play out in the end. But in terms of setting up an edition of Raw, do I hope, do I wish that they kind of got to this faster? Yeah, they took kind of like 45 minutes just to make an announcement of three sh matches that were going to be on the rest of the show. But other than that nitpick, 
They gave the winning team a reward. The reward makes sense. The booking and decision-making by the de facto authority figure made a lot of sense. And we got, you know, what resulted in three pretty damn good matches after it. Yeah. Uh, shout out shout out to Adam Pierce again. I, I think I said this last week, but I just continue to love him in this kind of down the middle authority role where he sets things and just just so there's a kayfabe reason for these things happening. I think he's doing a great job and he's not uh, he, he's not a cowering authority figure. He's not an overbearing one. He just he feels real. He continues to do a, a great job. But yeah, I, I mean. They told a story throughout the show, and we don't always get that, and I, I thought it was well executed. Yeah, I'd love to have known right off the top of the bat what it was, and maybe it would have been better for them to keep people tuned in. I don't know what the ratings will be. But yeah, it, it developed throughout the show, and I appreciated that. And it, I just, But again, imagine if, if we had known going into Survivor Series that whoever wins gets a title shot, and then, this, and then the, men, the Raw men's team sweeps it and we say well who's gonna get the title shot i guess tune in on monday and we'll find out you know just just like a way to again promote the next day's show and, and explain what we're gonna find out um i like what they did on monday i just i think they could have they could have uh told us before monday that it was gonna happen and i think it would have been even better they could have easily said the survivors from each team will get an opportunity at the number one contendership for, all, for both matches, the men's and the women's. And therefore, Lana being the sole survivor, you say, opportunity, she's the number one contender. She's the only survivor, right? Easy. That's an easy decision. And on commentary on Survivor Series, you're playing it up. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Lana, not only did she luck into this, now she gets a title shot with Asuka. And that somehow would have made it slightly better. Then you have this, the, the Raw men's team sweep the SmackDown team. And you have Michael Cole or Tom Phillips, whoever was on the call, I forget. You have them sell it as, well, what is Adam Pierce going to do now? Because there's five survivors for the men's team. They can't all be the number one contender. So, you know, the wheels are working. And you as a fan, you're like, man, I want to tune into Raw to see what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, so, just just if you want Survivor Series to be a big show, it, it needs to have the stakes. The, the, the Royal Rumble, somebody gets a title shot. The Money in the Bank, somebody has a title opportunity. It, it's 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 very easy to throw that onto Survivor Series as well, and I'm glad they're doing it this way. I just feel like they could have made this decision a few weeks ago, and and, and not only that, it, it gives a reason for people to want to be on the Survivor Series team. Uh, Absolutely, you, it, it just well, it gives you for, so for them much, to want to work together. Yeah, too. yeah, it just it gives you so many different opportunities to tell the story. By the way, I'm just realizing now that all of the meat and beef, all the sound drops that we have, somehow there's none of Heavy Machinery or Otis. Like, think about all the times they've grilled meat or talked about porterhouses. Somehow, I don't have any drops. So if anyone out there listening uh, knows of any individual scenes or, or skits or wherever where that is applicable, send those over. I will add them to the queue here. Well, we know, uh, well, we know how you feel about Otis, so maybe that's why. No, but that's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it off of the soundboard. <laughs> I mean, there's people I don't like on the soundboard. I'm not going to say who they are necessarily, but there's some people on here, you know, who I'm not necessarily huge fans of. All right, but anyway, so... Adam Pierce announces the matches. Matt Riddle versus Sheamus. Sorry, Riddle versus <laughs> Sheamus. Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley. And AJ Styles versus 
Randy Orton. So we'll break down these matches one by one. But right there with the announcements, I thought it was a great move that they paired up Riddle and Sheamus, not just because of the way they work together, but because they've had a match previously, but because of the storyline of the nicknames and them hating each other within the team. It just made sense to continue that. Keith Lee, Bobby Lashley. I mean, you heard the sound drop. No one's getting more amped for that than me. And then Randy Orton, AJ Styles is just a match. You're like, wow, how have we not seen that match? Like that could be a banger, right? So they, in announcing those three matches, gave us every reason, at least for me, to want to stay tuned for the rest of the show and see what happens. Yeah, uh, AJ versus Randy, That was was that a WrestleMania match or am I misremembering? I think they're saying it could have been. That, that was the promotion. I don't think they ever wrestled at WrestleMania. I'm looking at, no, they did. WrestleMania 35. That was uh, New York. Really? Yeah. Yep, they did. AJ was a face? I, I assume so, yeah. I, WrestleMania I 35 was 35. AJ Styles? Yep, the, the, the Becky Lynch there. one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. I, I, how is that slipping my mind? AJ, 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 AJ Styles won. Yeah, 2019. It happened. Just so, But yeah, no, it, it was a great setup. It really? There were three matches that... the that you want three different matches that you wanted to see for the reasons you just said, Oh, I'm excited to see a WrestleMania match to two hosses going at it. And then a riddle versus Sheamus, you knew it'd be uh, a fun work rate match. So uh, yeah, I, I like the way they paired them up. And I, I, I think, I mean, do we want to get into why these happened and why Randy Orton and, and Bobby Lashley uh, got into it is I, I think they made pretty good cases. I mean, at least the cases well, they that didn't they tell did. Us. Well, Bobby, it was off screen. Well, uh, Bobby Lashley did. He said he was the only champion who won at Survivor Series, uh, which I think was true. A, which I think was a, a fair point to bring up. Um, you know, I, I mentioned on our Survivor Series show that they said on the pre-show that Bobby Lashley didn't have competition for the U.S. title belt and that he was almost bigger than the belt, which I found interesting, and in that maybe they are working to get Bobby Lashley into the main event picture here pretty soon. So um, that that stood out to me that they also, I, I thought it was perfectly understandable for Bobby to get in because of that and for Randy because he was just a champion and, and just lost the belt. So I, I think it made sense story-wise too. So yeah, Styles Orton was the second match on the main card of WrestleMania 35, a singles match with no title on the line. Again, this is only a couple of years ago. So like the fact that I'm forgetting this, I have blocked out the storyline. I don't remember why they fought. I, I don't I, either. I, I, have, I don't remember. I, I, I just don't. It was the second match. The first match was Lesnar-Rollins, where Rollins beat him for the title mm-hmm. in like two minutes and 30 seconds. This was the second match. I just, I mean, I know, I know as soon as we end the show and people start listening, we're going to get, how can you not remember? And like, I'm going to say, oh yeah, that's right. But it, I don't have a memory of it for some reason. Like I, I don't, actively remember the storyline unless it was just like we're great we don't have wrestlemania opponents and we should fight i i, I see i remember the 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 um promo graphic between them they're both wearing uh sleeveless hoodies they look the, <laughs> they look the exact same except aj has more hair that's funny all right so let's get into these three matches uh riddle defeated sheamus in the first match like i said i was glad they matched them up based on the interactions riddle hit an awesome exploder suplex outside of the ring later a springboard floating bro to the outside, which like Tom Phillips, like love him, but that's the guy's finisher. And he hit a springboard version of it to the outside and you don't even call it like, I mean, you don't call it in a epic way like that. He actually did it. It was incredible. I've never seen someone springboard off the middle rope 
and do a corkscrew the way he did. Uh, I mean, maybe Ray Phoenix has done it in Pentagon, but like, I, I don't know. It just, I was shocked how great that move was. Uh, Seamus caught him with a Uranagi for a 2.5 count. Riddle then escaped the Cloverleaf. Uh, he locked Seamus in a Kimura lock over the top rope, which was pretty cool. Seamus put Riddle in a heel hook and Riddle booted his way out with his other foot. Uh, Riddle then hit the final flash knee strike, but Seamus hit an avalanche white noise for a 2.5. I thought that was going to end the match if I'm being candid. Riddle collapsed as Seamus went for the bro kick. Then they re reversed a ton of moves with each other. Riddle folded him over and got the one, two, three. This match was a total banger. It's, it was the best presentation of Riddle that we've seen since his initial call-up. And I know he beat AJ Styles, I think, in his first match on SmackDown. But when you're talking about showing someone's entire skill set and what they're able to do, his offense ability, his selling, the work rate that you can get with Riddle, this was the match. He went over extremely strong here, despite not beating Sheamus with a finisher. There was no doubt that by the time you got to the end of that match, whoever won was going to have deserved it. I know there were a couple fold-up, roll-up finishers on Raw Monday night, and yes, they get repetitive, and I hate that WWE can't just let their baby faces win clean. It is the most frustrating thing for me. But the fact that they were able to get him over strong despite not, not having him hit the finisher was incredible. Sheamus was not hurt by it at all. This match was 22 minutes long. It is one of my favorite main roster television matches of the entire year. You have Sasha Banks and Bailey. You have Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, and there's a couple others. Randy Orton, um, you know, Drew McIntyre last week is up there. This is part of that top 10. This was an incredible match. Kudos to both of them. And Riddle was definitely the right person to go over. At some point, you got to put over the young talent. And this was a great spot for him to go over. Yeah, no, this was the this was probably the most I've liked Riddle since he's been on the main roster. And I, I mean, just what he did in the ring. Um, I, I, I'm not super into the character, at least, or at least I know the character that they're going for, but I, I, I don't know. I just, it's not coming across. Wait, does it, it's, it's not, him. It's not, it, it's, it's sort of him, but like the way no, he's, I'm saying like, it's him, like, it's a slightly exaggerated right, version. But, this is Matt Riddle. I, right. I just mean like the, the way he's delivering lines feels a bit forced and not authentic, but I know that's generally the character. I, I think I can see the character. I just feel like we're not getting the right version ish of the character, but when he does what he does in the ring there, I, I don't really care as much. That was a, a heck of a match. Him and Sheamus were great together. Um, they, they, that's the guy that I, I know that they thought they had big uh, hopes for. Um, just the, the moves he can do, the selling, just really, really fun, physical match. Uh, just, just really, really solid and enjoyed the hell out of it. So Riddle is, what we saw Monday night from Riddle is why I believe he can be a world champion in WWE. Because not only was the match incredible, but he popped me in the opening segment with the nicknames and, and laughing with everyone or whatever. And then we had that backstage moment with MVP where he almost made MVP a veteran corpse right in front of everyone on live television where, you know, he calls him bro. MVP's like, I'm not your bro. He goes, aw. MVP almost lost his shit live on television. So Riddle, I think well, this is what people misunderstand about him. They feel like it's scripted and forced, right? That's basically what you're saying. That's not what it is. This is what it is. Riddle is a relaxed, chill, 
dude, like in life, that is him. So when he is cutting a promo on a wrestling program, it feels like he is having to give effort to it where everything else about him is effortless. That, that's so because good, that's of that, that's a good way it seems it. like he's scripted. It seems like it's forced. But if you go back and watch promos that he cut in the indies and in the Evolve and NXT, it's just him. Some people say the same thing about Sasha Banks, where it feels like she forces things on promos occasionally. Maybe with Sasha, it's not really her strong suit, but it's also the way she speaks and enunciates things. And it gives a false kind of sense of what people think is that she's overly scripted and very robotic occasionally on promos. Sometimes she is. Sometimes it's just how she speaks and enunciates. With Riddle, again, it's because his personality is so relaxed that he almost has to work up the effort to cut a promo. So he's giving effort for a character that doesn't give effort. Now, I think if you look at AEW and Orange Cassidy, Orange Cassidy does a better job of, you know, he's almost like a nihilist to to some degree. And then, but when he speaks, he keeps that tone. He just kind of talks like this and, you know, says a couple words and it's like not it's like it's not a really a big deal. Riddle is passionate and cares. So he can't cut the same type of promo that Orange Cassidy does. He has to speak in a way in which he's excited because this is a guy who loves life. Well, he's I, not I, an, yeah. he's not a nihilist. He's just a guy who smokes weed who they aren't. They don't say that. But he's a guy who smokes a lot of weed and is a surfer, you know, quote unquote. Right. I just, I, I oh, think, I, think I, 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 I get the character. I just, I think the delivery is sometimes a bit slow. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't. It, it is. It may, it may, him. No, but I mean, like he, can, but he's, he's energetic and quick and everything in the ring. Like it, it, Orange Cassidy is, is not. So it all flows together. I just feel like the, the riddle we're getting sometimes, sometimes is good. The, 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 the nickname stuff in the ring when he's with a crowd, it was good. The, the backstage, some of it was good, but like the, the Brogert thing, some of it feels a little bit forced. Uh, but it's, see, that, that's the that's the thing. And like, if you don't like Riddle or if anyone doesn't like Riddle, never going to argue. Like, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm close. Like, I don't not like the idea. I feel like I can see what they want to do. I just feel like there's I, it's just not 100% clicking for me. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll be a lot better when there's a crowd. You know, to, to react, I'm sure it's a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, because they'll some pop the, for some yeah, of those. Yeah, they'll pop for some of those dull, dull. Yeah, and, and some of that will probably go yeah. over better when I'm seeing a, uh, a reaction to it. But um, what what but I'm no, trying to it, explain, it, what I do, I'm, what but, I'm trying yeah. to explain though to you and others who have the same opinion, and I'm not saying it's a wrong opinion. If you don't like Riddle, my mic thing just fell. Sorry. Uh, if you don't like Riddle, or if you uh, don't like the character, you are 100 within your right to feel that way. My point when it comes to Riddle is this is not for those who may not be aware who either don't watch NXT or never saw him in the indies. This is not WWE quote unquote, like people will say, ruining him. No, this is him. He's the same character that he's always been. So if you don't like that, or if it doesn't hit with you, that's 100% cool. But I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think, oh, I don't like what WWE is doing with Riddle. No. They're allowing Riddle to be Riddle. So just so everyone knows that, that's kind of the explanation that I'm giving. I personally love it. And I think he's great. And the fact that WWE hasn't made him even cornier and even more of a joke, I think that's like 
thank God, because they could have taken him in that type of direction. They could have had him telling knock knock jokes on screen. I mean, you you've mm-hmm. seen what they've done. They oh, turned yeah. they turned an Olymp an Olympic hopeful into Shorty G. I mean, they, who knows what they could do with Rail, right? I mean, they cut his name off, right? <laughs> they, they could have made him a Riddler type of dude who told literally, literally told riddles, uh, but they didn't. I kind of so I, 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 I kind of like that idea. <laughs> oh God, come on! Uh, so that's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to explain. If you don't like him, hundred percent your prerogative. But this is not WWE changing him or making him worse or whatever. This is what he is, and either like him or don't, and that's totally cool. I personally like him, and I loved the backstage interaction with MVP. Now, moving on to the second match, Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley, and out of all the meat sounds that we've already played, you know I saved this one. Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> Look, that's what we want to see. That's what they gave us on Raw when they did the draft, and they are paying it off with big meaty men slapping freaking meat. And that's what we got with Keith Lee and Bobby Lashley. Keith Lee kicked out at one after a flatliner early in the match. Lashley fell outside the ring with Lee on his shoulders, cut his head open on the ring post. Lashley then hit Lee with an awesome vertical suplex. It was so fluid in the ring. They leapfrogged each other. Lee hit a crossbody on Lashley outside, but MVP shoved him into the ring post. Lashley struggled to get the hurt lock on because of Lee's basically massive chest and huge shoulders and and arms. Uh, So right as he was about to cinch his hands together, Lee came to, he woke up, break it and broke it. And that was, by the way, a great camera work, having Mm -hmm. it zoomed in on his face, showing him almost waking up and doing that. It was really cool. Uh, Lee fell backwards and slammed Lashley, who was on his back. So after that, MVP blatantly ran in for the disqualification. So look, I get it, okay? It was still a massively stupid finish. If you're going to go with a DQ, you can book it in a way that isn't so blatant. It's not MVP just kind of running right in front of the referee and taking out Keith Lee. They could have had this hurt lock hold deal happen and then Lee wind up outside of the ring and MVP run him into the ring post. Like they could have almost done what they did previously and had that be the finish. The right person went over. Okay. But how hard is it for WWE to allow Keith Lee to get a clean win over anyone important? They don't even give him clean wins over the equivalent of jobbers. Like all these weeks where he has not been winning and he's barely skated by with a DQ or this or that's happened. He's been on the losing end of a triple threat, but not the one pinned or Braun Strowman beat him with a low blow. In all these in-between weeks, how do you not have him squash Titus? or take out Akira Tozawa, or just get this guy some freaking wins. They can't. He can't beat anybody ex- without a disqualification or without some craziness happening. This is Keith Lee. Treat him right. So I don't mind necessarily the idea of a DQ in this spot because it is Bobby Lashley, the US champion. I have a feeling that they're going to be setting up a United States title feud between Keith Lee and Bobby Lashley. He'll lose the triple threat and have the DQ win over Lashley so he'll, you know, demand a match and hopefully win and hopefully maybe even win the U.S. title. So it's the right storytelling to have Keith Lee win via DQ. But man, don't make it as pathetic as MVP roll, run, running in. You're making Lashley look bad for that. Yeah, I mean, Keith Lee obviously opened with the clean win against Randy Orton, but it's kind of been a uh, kind of a mess of results since. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think... I, I get doing a DQ finish, especially if you want to set up a feud. We'll see where they go. That would make a lot of sense. Um, 
But yeah, it could have been a little more clean. I, I mean, my first reaction when I saw that was because of the tag team result we got earlier in the day and earlier in the night. And then uh, him coming in here, I, I my first reaction was, are we going to see a breakup of the Hurt Business or something? Are, are they going to start fracturing? Is Lashley going to be mad at MVP for that? I I, I don't know. It didn't, just because they constantly lost on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I hope not. I, I I mean, just that that was just a thought I had coming out of that, and I'm. Curious, curious if they address it at all or if they're just fine with it and, and on they go. So, um, yeah, it was fine for what we got. I liked it. You know, it, it made Keithley look good. Um, Lashley's not hurt, but, you know, there, there, there could have been better ways to do it. But again, if you're going to have these guys do a bigger feud, which, I mean, we don't know, but if they do, I understand trying to save, uh, save it, save more of it, uh, too. So kind of was what it was, but it was the right result. So we move on. Yeah, we do. Uh, to the third match, AJ Styles defeating Randy Orton for the third spot in that triple threat. Orton went full shaved head, by the way. Sometimes he has a little bit of hair and he's had it for a long time, but he just went full bald there. Uh, this was a damn good wrestling match. Uh, Styles dodged an RKO, hit an Inseguri. As Orton was gathering himself outside, the Fiend's music briefly hit and he showed up, popped up right behind the barricade like and like shifted his eyes back and forth. That was Pretty creepy, actually. It was a pretty good spot there. Uh, That distracted Orton enough. He was able to regroup, hit a draping DDT on Styles. Then the lights went all the way out, and The Fiend showed up behind Orton in that same, for people who watch NXT, the Keith Lee spot, where Lee will just rise right behind someone over their shoulder uh, with the camera zoomed in on them in the corner. That's how The Fiend popped up, which, again, was an awesome, really cool, creepy type of spot. Uh, The lights came back on. The Fiend was gone but Orton was already distracted. Styles flew in with the phenomenal forearm, got the win. So look, it was clear that they were going to go with the Orton-Fiend feud upcoming, especially, I mean, we knew it was going to happen no matter what. We were concerned it was going to happen with Orton as champion and have the Fiend in a champion feud, but at least it happened now that he's not the champion. Uh, it's, I'm glad they're still going in that direction because they certainly talked about it for six weeks, maybe even a little bit longer, really, since the draft started. So that was in October. Uh, and Styles being the right person to win here, you know, I'm, I'm down with that. So he's in the triple threat match. Riddle, Keith Lee, AJ Styles, all next week for the number one contendership. Uh, on the back end of that, to wrap this entire segment up, I guess, uh, we learned Tuesday right before we taped this podcast that WWE has suspended Braun Strowman indefinitely in kayfabe for the attack on Adam Pierce. Now, we have seen... Indefinite suspensions last wide varieties of time recently from Becky Lynch. I forget if Ronda Rousey got one, but Becky definitely. Nia Jax recently like was suspended three times in four weeks. Like I don't even remember how that all went down. So I don't know what this actually means in terms of Strowman, but it seems pretty clear since Strowman is not going to be feuding with Adam Pierce, despite the fact that Pierce was a former wrestler. Uh, that he's still going to get involved in this somehow, right? So the question is, what do you actually do from a booking standpoint going forward? I think it's one of two options. Either next week before this match begins, you have Strowman take out one of these guys, present himself as an alternate. He gets the opportunity, joins the match and wins. Beats Riddle, you know, Lee stays protected again. Option two is you have one of these guys win the match, Uh, whether it's Lee or AJ Styles. I don't think they would give Riddle a WWE championship shot. 
You have one of them win the match, and then on the lead up to TLC, you have Braun Strowman take one of them out and either insert himself into that match, the WWE Championship match as a triple threat, or just take their spot in the match. But I end up believing that Strowman's going to be Drew McIntyre's challenger one way or another, because that's really how they're setting up the storyline. I don't see Riddle getting that opportunity. I do see Styles getting it. And I don't really see Keith Lee getting it. Face versus face. I know they're friends. I know they kind of were building toward it. But I kind of think that they may go Drew McIntyre, Keith Lee for WrestleMania potentially. I don't think that they're going to be doing that on TLC, a random pay-per-view potentially with a stipulation. Yeah, I mean, my first reaction is probably AJ wins, you know, face versus heel. Deal makes sense. We've had McIntyre versus Lee recently. Um, so, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. So so does does Braun force his way into the match and get the win? I, I could I, I get the win or get a title shot. I could see that happening. Or I could see AJ winning the match uh, in some way. Or, or maybe Braun attacks uh Keith Lee or Riddle during the match or leading up to it. Or, and, and then he feuds with Braun feuds with one of those two. Um, so a, a few ways to go. I haven't, I, I, again, I don't follow the dirt sheet so much. I haven't seen anything about Braun possibly taking any time off like Seth. So I assume he'll be back relatively soon and kind of involved in some way. But I, I in general, I, I like the idea of a suspension for putting your hands on the authority figure. Like, again, I like when there are, rules and structures to this universe um so you know you know in, in a meta way you might say oh it's just a it's it's a way to get him out of losing a match or being in something and you know it's partly that too but if it makes sense in a story then i'm fine with it and i, I think it makes sense if you're going to shove down the the head of the guy running the show you should get suspended and that's different than randy orton putting his hands on him and pushing him up against the wall I think Braun with the, the forceful push down in the ring is a little bit different. So it all made sense to me. And um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with Braun, but um, I, I thought it worked out. I do too. Uh, no, I also don't have any dirt sheet info. I wouldn't say it on the podcast without, um, you know, saying as much. Like I wouldn't kind of, I would say, hey, look, there's a spoiler here. Uh, but it just the way that storyline is booked with Strowman getting suspended it doesn't seem to set up a feud with anyone else. Now, I guess maybe there could be a scenario where he takes out Keith Lee, but he still loses the um, triple threat match. Let's see, he gets himself inserted into it, or it becomes a one-on-one match like Riddle versus AJ Styles. Styles wins. Now Lee is pissed at Strowman. So theoretically, I guess you could go Lee Strowman for TLC and allow Keith Lee to get his freaking win back. Right. Uh, but, you know... I just don't necessarily think that they're going to go in that direction. Well, it and, and did, like- I mean, we just had, and we did just have Lee versus Strowman that kind of happened, got hot, and then just kind of, if I recall, nothing really resolved from that. Um, you could easily get right back into a Keith Lee-Strowman feud, and I'd be down with it. You could, but you have to have Keith Lee win at that point. I mean, you yes. just can't, you can't keep doing this to this guy. I mean, look, we, we got him. He's repackaged a little bit with that music, right? We're happy. Uh, the gear, I for, I don't even care anymore. That's fine. Get this guy wins. Let, let's get him going here. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I was happy. The, the long and short of it is I was happy with what they gave us on Raw Monday night. Mm-hmm. This was a big reason why this entire storyline lasting throughout the entire show. I'm excited for this triple threat match. Riddle, Keith Lee, AJ Styles next week. 
The Braun Strowman stuff is intriguing. Braun Strowman, by the way, the gimmick that he has now that he kind of developed partially through Raw Underground, it's probably the best gimmick he's had in a long, long time. I mean, it's better than just get these hands, I'm a baby face, better than get these hands, I'm a heel, better than whatever was happening after he became champion, better than the kind of tweener heel dude he became in the feud with The Fiend. I like this version of Braun Strowman. He's just like, you know what? I'm a massive dude. I'm going to kick some ass and I'm wearing gloves now. And like, he, like yeah, I'm fine and, with it. Yeah, and, and he looks more toned or a little bit leaner when in Survivor Series when him and Otis ripped off their shirts. Uh, yeah. It looked like Braun looked more muscular than we'd seen him. I mean, he's obviously a massive dude, but he looked more toned as well. So he... Um, There's some dudes we say like take off the shirts, right? Like it's like, it doesn't make sense why you would have someone covered. For some reason, Braun, ever since he started wearing the shirt, it just makes him look better. So yeah, it, look, it, it's it's a it's weird. It's a it's a medium <laughs> shirt that's yeah. barely fitting on there, making him look bigger. But uh, yeah, no, the, yeah. I mean, th- this was all. I mean, honestly, credit to WWE over the whole month. This whole storyline with the Raw team and getting them together and winning, and now having the the triple threat matches and stuff coming out of it, very well executed from start to finish. Uh, Give them credit for the long-term-ish, medium-term-ish booking here. Only thing is I wish they, again, could have had the stipulation of surviving team. Survivors get a, get a number one contender chance. Would have just kind of pieced it all together really well. But overall, I think they did a really good job. And all of these guys, Styles, uh, Sheamus, Braun, um, uh, Keith Riddle, Riddle. Keel, Keith yep. Lee, they all... Look, they they all look better coming out of this whole thing. I think I think it was really well executed. They do. You know what? That's a great point. All of them are better coming out of the the Survivor Series storyline finish and even the matches. Yep. All of them came out looking better, and that does deserve credit. And yeah, this is, may not be long term in terms of like three four months or anything like that, but they definitely knew where they were going with the storyline and they executed the entire thing. So I know sometimes it's like, well, you're you're grading on a curve because AEW, you know, they they do four-month storylines. Of course, yes, yes. And sometimes WWE does too. But what WWE struggled with a lot, really, in the early part of 2020 and throughout 2019 was booking any type of significant storyline of any period of six weeks, of two months, of three months. It just seemed, seemed like everything was flying by the seat of their pants. So yeah, when they put together something for six to eight weeks or three to four months, yeah, they deserve credit. And yeah, it is grading on a curve. But if it's enter- entertaining me in the end, that's all that really matters. Now, the main storyline from SmackDown that did not factor into Survivor Series too much, it did a little bit, but it wasn't really the same thing, was Murphy defeating Seth Rollins. Rollins cut a promo before the match backstage, tearing down Murphy for being ungrateful after Rollins saved him. He also took credit for Murphy's relationship with Aaliyah and said he'll go back to being nothing like he was before after Murphy loses to Rollins in the match. For all the twists and turns, the positives and negatives of this long-ass feud, this was well laid out from a storyline perspective with an end goal of writing Seth Rollins off television for an extended period of time. The Mysterio family came down to the ring, Ray interfered, pretty early in the match, Murphy got thrown from the ring apron into the barricade, and then Aaliyah fell down as Rollins stalked her outside the ring. Rollins hit that superplex and falcon arrow combination, and I noticed, by the way, that Murphy was wearing tights that said Messiah Slayer on them with a takeoff of Rollins' logo, so that was pretty cool. 
Uh, Rollins caught Murphy with the stomp, elevated from the second rope as Murphy was climbing back in the ring, but he could not take advantage of it. Uh, he then hit a buckle bomb, but Murphy recovered right away with a V-trigger. Rollins missed the stomp, and Murphy followed up with his finisher, Murphy's Law, and the one, two, three. So talk about a face getting over clean over someone big with their finisher. We got it on SmackDown. This was an awesome match. You knew Rollins was going to put Murphy over here. The only negative for me was the time. This thing could have gone another 10 minutes easily. Give me a kick out at that Murphy's Law. 10 more minutes of action. Aaliyah slapping Rollins, allowing Murphy to hit a second Murphy's Law. Tying a bow really on the entire storyline. Also, put this thing in the damn main event. I know it was a go-home show for a pay-per-view, but you've been building this storyline for months, like six months at this point, and the two main matches are at like the nine o'clock hour on a SmackDown TV show. You've, I mean, you've had multiple pay-per-view matches, and you just end it somewhat on a whimper. So I was disappointed a little bit in those regards, but look, it was great. It was almost a banger. It was on the verge of it. Again, it wasn't a banger, mostly, you know, due to length. That's the most action I've had all year. That's what she said. Uh, but it was on the way to being one. So kudos to them for putting on a great match. Yeah, it was a great match. Would have, I mean, part of, again, party is like, this should have had a bigger blow off to this whole feud. Party is like, you're glad it's finally over. Um, they landed the plane. I, I mean, this was a weird, convoluted feud at times, but I think it's a satisfactory ending, um, which which is uh, the which is all you can ask for. And um, I don't know if Murphy will get a ton out of this, if we'll get more from him or not. Obviously, he's incredibly talented in the ring, and I would love to see more Matt. I would I would love to just see that guy with the 15, 20-minute match every week. Um, but, but yeah, my biggest but, concern about Murphy is what do they do with him for here? Cause now he's, right. you saw him on survivor series. He came out with the Mysterio clan for that battle Royal. It's just like, what do you do with Murphy? I mean, right. do you that, put that, him in that, a tag team with Dominic and have Ray be the singles? Like, right. I, that, I, I just I'm not don't sure. know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe, maybe they, they do my idea of following Murphy living with the Mysterios at home and turn it into a telenovela. Oh, that'd um, be great. Uh, but I'd also like to see him in the like Murphy well. eating like some like really spicy food and just not being able to handle it. Yeah. And like needing to go, go run and get milk and, and the, the wife and yeah. Yeah. That so, could be funny. Honestly, that would be funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's it would a, be funny question. It would, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. But again, I think they landed the plane on this feud, which for a long time, I wasn't sure if they could. So uh, at, at least it's over. That's a really good way to put it. You know, like you land the plane, people clap. Some people clap. <laughs> Just because they're proud that they got there alive, they got us there alive. You know, like mm -hmm. they ended it in a respectable way, didn't insult anyone. They got the right people over in the feud. Did it feel rushed at the end? Yeah, considering the thing lasted forever and it didn't end on a pay per view. But nevertheless, it was a solid ending. As you said, I like the terminology. They landed the plane. The other half of our main event is. WWE releasing Zelina Vega. It happened pretty suddenly after she reportedly attended SmackDown, like she was there for the taping, but then got released at her request, presumably because she did not want to stop her third-party social media accounts, namely Twitch. And I also believe she started in OnlyFans, although I don't think the OnlyFans was the type of OnlyFans that people usually 
subscribe to on OnlyFans. I think it was more of a, uh, I think it's called cosplay, like where you dress up as mm-hmm. char- characters. Uh, so they cut her loose, but she beat them to the punch publicly by tweeting that she supports unionization. I thought uh, Zelina, whose real name is Thea Trinidad, was fantastic in WWE. Not only was she great on the mic, she got over anyone that she worked with. She did wonders for Andrade in NXT and was a big reason he worked on the main roster. As a wrestler, was she needed in WWE? No. But not having her there in a manager role for someone is definitely a net loss. It looks like they had already transitioned her to that wrestler role. So who knows if that would have happened again. But generally, when you have a talent like her, it comes back around and you get that opportunity. So we're going to talk a little bit about some other circumstances regarding this release. But first, I kind of wanted to talk about Zelina and focus more on just her ability and what WWE's lost here because they may not think it was a a net loss and they may have decided they needed to make an example out of someone because if everyone else is willing to cancel their Twitches and their other accounts, their... um, What's the one, the cameos, uh, if they're all willing to do that and she's not, well, they can't just let her win, right? So they had to make a decision, but I think she's going to pop right up in AEW or Impact right away and be a very effective uh, tool for either of those brands, whether it's as a wrestler, as a person on the mic manager type of role, or honestly both, because even though she's not exceptionally strong as a wrestler, she's certainly not bad. She's athletic and talented. So I do think... I see what they did from a corporate standpoint. I, I get why they did it. Ultimately, it's a mistake. And really the policy, the Twitch um, cameo policy that WWE has instituted, that's an even bigger mistake than releasing Zelina Vega because I think it's going to make a lot of people upset. I mean, not think. I know. It's made a lot of people upset. Yeah, two two separate things. One, you know, she she was a great manager. That, that post-WrestleMania uh, period where she had kind of her own faction with Garza in theory and, and Andrade, you know, she was the, she was the leader. She was the one who kept them all together. And I think we've seen in the time since Garza not having her around is just not clicking. I, I mean, I, we've, we're both fans of managers. I've long thought they need to bring that role back. I know we think AEW is maybe overdoing it, but there is absolutely a, an important role for managers in pro wrestling, and she was really good at it. Uh, her ability in the ring, I didn't see her a ton. She seemed fine, but it's always it's tough when you've got these you know tiny women going up against bigger women and right. how it's supposed to play out. But she's great on the mic. She she, she has a lot of ability. Um, I, too, expect her to pop up somewhere else uh, real soon. It's a real shame that it didn't work out. The Twitch... I'll just call it the Twitch policy. I think is is absolutely idiotic from WWE. Yeah, it it is. It, it, is, it, it is. There is such a huge. They're always trying to to become mainstream popular to cross over into different platforms or whatever. And this is an amazing way to do it. I get you know you're concerned about guys using certain names and licenses, whatever. You can work that out, but it's like. They're all. I, I've always, I've always wanted. Like they don't want any of their wrestlers to become bigger than the company, and that's why they have not had any breakout stars. That's why they haven't had anybody other than John Cena uh, 
break out and move into Hollywood and do something bigger. It's like they don't want anybody to do that anymore. They want to keep them in this bubble. Nobody's bigger than that WWE logo. And, you know, you look at AEW, just about everybody over there has their own Twitch channel. And you know what that does? That get that gets your wrestlers in front of other people who may not be watching wrestling otherwise because they like gaming or something like that. And then they say, hey, I like this guy. I watch his Twitch stream. Oh, he does pro wrestling. Let me go check that out. Like, that's how you grow an audience. That's how you grow an audience with a younger population, which WWE is having a huge problem with and has had a problem with for a long time. So I I do not understand this at all. I, I think it's it's putting the company's brand over the company's growth. And oh, it's not I, even it's not even that. It's worse it, than that. It, it's it. I just I think it's a a huge mistake, and it, it's just yeah. Big, big mistake. It's worse than it's yeah. worse than the brand. It's worse than brand over star. It truly is. It is WWE sees dollars being left out there that talent is earning, and they're not getting a piece of it. That's what it is, and it's pretty disgusting. I mean, look, when this all happened, and I don't think we've really talked about this at length on this podcast. And honestly, we have a lot of wrestling to talk about, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But this is what I'll say. When WWE first kind of came out with this policy and was very unclear with the wrestlers about what the policy was, it seemed like it had gotten misconstrued. And what they were actually telling the wrestlers was, look, if you guys are going to do Cameo, if you guys are going to do Twitch, all these things, you can't use your name. You can't use your in-ring name. And putting myself in their corporate shoes, I'm okay with that. So if they had, if their edict was, Big E, you can't be Big E. Charlotte Flair, you have to be Ashley Flair or um, or Ashley Fleer, however you say their uh, actual real name. I'm okay with that part because look, you have your own characters. It's just like Marvel has Iron Man and you don't want Iron Man cutting a cameo and number one, making money off your license because it is WWE's license and, and B, reading a, a canned message from someone who supports some type of weird organization. And now you have Iron Man on camera reading that type of message. It, it, it ruins your, your rights and it, it ruins the character, right? So I'm, I would, would have been okay if that's what WWE said. Hey, you know what, Biggie, you got to go by your real name. Charlotte, you got to go by your real name. Uh, Zelina, you have to be Thea Trinidad, etc. That would have been 100% okay with me as a fan and as just a supporter of the wrestlers, right? But that's not what they did. They basically told these people, we see you as human beings, who by the way, are independent contractors and not employees. We see you as human beings making money somewhere else besides this company, and we don't like it. And why don't we like it? Because it's social media, and because we feel like if people are making the kind of money you guys are on social media, we should be making that kind of money on social media. And you know what? I don't actually think this is a Vince McMahon edict because I don't think Vince understands the area or the dollars and cents of Twitch or Cameo well enough for it to be a Vince McMahon thing. I actually think this is a Nick Khan thing. Nick Khan's the guy they hired from CAA. He was a longtime dude at CAA, negotiated their contracts with Fox and USA Network. I think he came into WWE saw this happening and convinced Vince to make this the policy. There's new stories out there that AJ Styles and I think someone else uh, went up to Stanford and actually met with Vince to try to get him 
to convince him to change the stance and they're not changing it. And the wrestlers are pissed. Uh, they're losing significant money income stream wise. I mean, you would think Twitch, like how much are the, how much are they really making? Like playing video games and talking to fans online. Some of them, Adam Cole makes a lot of freaking money. A lot of money. Paige makes a ton of money doing Twitch. Cameo, maybe it's it's maybe less frequent or, or around certain situations. On Twitch, they make a ton. So WWE, what they've effectively done is cut off an income stream for those wrestlers who decided, hey, I want to do something a little extra. Now, does that mean that these wrestlers can't make money other ways? No, it doesn't. Liv Morgan's studying to become a real estate agent. And when she does, she'll probably sell houses in the Orlando area and make some money. But she's still going to be herself in that situation. And she still could have been herself on a Twitch. So I hate it. Um, I think it's kind of despicable. And look, it's not something people are trying to make big stances about over WWE about this. If you stuck with the company and stuck watching them through blood money in the sand in Saudi Arabia, you can't really leave over this. This doesn't really compare to the travesty that that deal is. But this isn't good. And I think it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. I don't know how, but if you have a talent like an Adam Cole, where he says, you know, I really like being in WWE. I'm, I'm the star of NXT. I make more money maybe than it, maybe I don't know this, but more money maybe than anyone else on that brand. They want to bring me up to the main roster. It seems like I'm going to get big pushes and I have a nice career here. But I, I'm going to get my salary, my annual income, gross income, cut by a third because I have to stop Twitch. AEW, where my wife works, they're offering me a pretty similar deal and I get to keep my Twitch. So I'm going to make a lot more money if I go over to AEW. Why would I stay? So that's the situation WWE is going to be putting itself in. I think they're going to lose some talent over this. And it's a pretty bad corporate decision. If you want to protect your branding and your characters, like I said, I get it. I don't get them telling independent contractors, you can't have social media channels and make money under your legal names. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a terrible business decision. I mean, it's like, it's like a, a, a really good writer starts getting some spots on TV and then that company doesn't want the writer on TV and they realize, oh, I'll just go make as much or more money doing TV. And then you don't have that writer writing for you anymore. Like it's, I, I think back to, you know, that CM Punk Colt Cabana podcast drop years ago when CM Punk laid out all these business opportunities, sponsorships and things that he had or could have done that WWE wouldn't let him. And yeah, now that uh, now that there is another wrestling company with deep pockets, uh, there are other options for these people. And, and, and all of these different things are going to be taken into account. It's it's just it's WWE has such a problem building mainstream crossover stars uh and this is one way to do that and it's just, again i just i think it's a bad business decision because it it limits the growth of your individuals in the company and because i, I think part of it is because they want everything under the wwe umbrella but when you can't the only way the wwe umbrella brand grows is if you have stories and characters that's what this whole thing is about and to not have uh, to, to limit the growth of those people i think is just a really bad long-term business decision it, it's just funny that 
on NXT, they're trying to capitalize from Pat McAfee's radio show and, and his, his built-in audience from the sports world. But then they don't see that, like, Adam Cole has however many thousand Twitch subscribers and they could benefit potentially from that. Like, mm-hmm. they could probably say, hey, dude, you need to do this under your real name. But also, why don't we have Pat, like, jump in there at some point and try to get something going with you, mm-hmm. right? Or, or and occasionally, you don't do it cons- consistently, but work angles into it and not worry about, hey, yeah, my talent's making a couple extra dollars. And by the way, WWE, if you want, start your own Twitch channel. Well, that, that, re- that, that's what, and, that's and require, exactly. and require your talent to be on it that's a exactly. here and there yeah. and let them, and let them do it as, as the talent. Let Zelina Vega be Zelina Vega on your Twitch stream once a week for an hour. And then the rest of the week, let her be on her own. And by the way, if she's on her own, guess what she's going to do? She's going to say, I'm going to go play page in whatever Minecraft game on the WWE Twitch channel on Sunday at 9 p.m. Come watch me. And people are going to go and they're going to guild and whatever the stuff they do. And WWE will make money. So it's just like, it's so freaking dumb. I mean, they made all their talent create Twitter accounts. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize that the value in the talent is them being allowed to be themselves. Like the, the stuff Daniel Bryan gets retweeted from his Twitter account is his own personal thoughts, not when he's promoting SmackDown. So it's it's just like they just don't seem to get it, man. It's it's stupid and it's frustrating. And it's I, bad I, business. Yep. I, and I, I would be surprised if within six months there is not a WWE Twitch channel. I mean, like, you know, Xavier Woods has the up, up, down, down stuff. And there's clearly, you know, work with with the company in terms of how that's played out and whatever. But like, absolutely. The, yeah. the, it's an example of like these other platforms are ways to raise the profiles of your wrestlers and when that happens more people will come watch them on tv watch them in an arena and i just i don't get this it's just really stupid now there is something coming out of this got a dm slide from jordan reed at jordan reed nine he says i don't want to stray too far into the political waters with this but what do you make of the unionization efforts in light of zelina's firing and sag saying they're willing to support wrestlers do you think there will be any change to the existing independent contractor model. So those are actually multiple different questions. And honestly, we could do an entire podcast on it. I'm not going to spend too much time here, even though we did talk about this longer than I expected. This is what I'm going to say. I don't think you're going to see a union in wrestling. Forget WWE, in wrestling. Because in order to get enough buy-in for there to be a union started, created, you need buy-in from the top-tier wrestlers, or at least enough of the higher mid-tier wrestlers where you get such a percentage of talent buying into it that it pushes the momentum forward. Everyone has to join and you get the companies to basically all say that they're going to use union workers. I would also be concerned about smaller companies basically being taken out of business. WWE, if their workers unionize, they'll be fine. But a lot of the smaller companies, I don't know that they will be financially. I don't know if they'll be able to handle that. And I think that could significantly hurt the industry. And I also think If WWE, if there's like 10 of their bottom tier wrestlers who say, hey, you know what, we're not going to stay here under these circumstances, they'll say, okay, we're going to go find 10 other people. It's different if you have a significant portion of your talent or your main eventers that say the same thing. So for those reasons and others that I'm, you know, it would take forever for me to get into. I just, I don't see unionization happening. I don't think Zelina and Paige are going to be the ones who make it happen. The stuff that the SAG president said, you know, you guys can go look it up on your own. But basically, she was not saying 
hey, we're going to help you create create a union. What she was saying is, look, you're not going to join our union, but we'll talk about it with you if you want to learn more. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, now, the second part of your question, do I think there will be a change to the existing independent contractor model? That I think we will see a change inside of the next five years, largely because of things like this. I think the threat of unionization for wrestlers will be more effective than actually unionizing. So hopefully that makes sense. The idea that they could do it and could significantly affect WWE's business model by doing so, I think is a greater threat to WWE than them actually going through with it, expecting everyone to pay into it, getting the top wrestlers on board. I don't really know what motivation Roman Reigns would have to join a union, whereas like Ali, it would probably benefit him in a massive way. So it's tough. I mean, when you create a union for plumbers or for factory workers, everyone generally is at a similar type of pay level. When the NFLPA and the and the professional sports unions were created, they were done in like the 50s and 60s where salaries were all still pretty similar and superstars were not paid such exorbitant amounts of money. Those still exist today. And that's why they're able to continue because all those factors have been worked in over decades upon decades. But to start a union from scratch where there's that big of a pay disparity and star disparity, I just don't think it's going to happen. But I do think and hope that the threat of unionization ultimately makes the independent contractor situation better for WWE and all employees in wrestling or makes an actual employees as opposed to just independent contractors. Yeah, as with any unionization, it takes a lot of sacrifice from people at the top to make it happen. And they would be the ones giving up the most to make this happen, to help raise the floor and and what have you. I mean, there's that old story that Jesse Ventura says he was going to have the wrestlers unionize and Hulk Hogan ratted him out to to Vince or something like Mm -hmm. that. It's it's, it's those types of situations. So it's hard to see it because wrestling has been such an independent uh, sport or, or, you know, profession, essentially. And a lot of the things you laid out about whether or not it, it would it would work, it'd be good. Those are similar things that Cody Rhodes has said, uh, because when he went over to AEW, he talked about having guaranteed health care for all the wrestlers um, and, and that those types of things. I don't believe that's that type of stuff has come to fruition. He, he Cody talked before AEW started. Well, this I think wrestlers should unionize. And then yeah. when he started AEW, he's like, I think all wrestlers should have health insurance. Guess what? They're not unionized. Yep. They don't all have health insurance. The people who are employees of AEW, SCU, Cody, the Young Bucks, Omega, they actually have office jobs beyond the ring. They have health insurance. Yes. Everyone else, they're independent contractors. The difference between AEW and WWE, this is where they deserve credit. They can have Twitch channels. They can wrestle for other organizations as long as it's improved given safety guidelines these days and scheduling guidelines in the past. All of that stuff is way better about AEWs. They actually treat them like independent contractors. So that's where they get a check mark in the column. But what you said is right. Cody, when he was independent, thought a union was a great idea. Now that he works for one of the companies, he realizes it's not good for the company. Right. And in your point about the the the, the indie companies and the, the smallers trying to book people and that type of stuff, there are certainly issues. I think the biggest thing is, yes, exactly what you said. The wrestlers, they are independent contractors. They should be treated like independent contractors because WWE 
wrestlers are not treated like independent contractors. They're not allowed to go off and do their own things most of the time. So that that's where I think the biggest issue is is as it relates to WWE. And yes, I'm I'm curious again again with another company out there, if within the five the next five years these types of uh, employment situations change a little bit. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if WWE ultimately backtracks on this third party thing, just mostly because. And, and when I said that they should start a Twitch channel, they are starting a Twitch channel. So I, I I didn't mean to say like they weren't, that wasn't the plan. That is the plan. But my point is they could have started the channel anyway and integrated everyone into it as their characters and allowed them to create their own third-party ones that feed into it. And but but, it. but I'm sure they would make little to less to very little of the money that some of them would doing it on their own. I don't know. I don't know. If you can set up matches between wrestlers that you like on Twitch... I mean, the question is also, how does that influence what Xavier Woods is doing with Up, Up, Down, Down? I mean, he that's part of WWE, so I'm sure that's totally fine. But I'm saying, like, that's a video game type of situation also where these wrestlers go head to head. I just, the whole thing's a mess. It's a, it's a self-inflicted mess. It's an unforced error by WWE. It's another unforced error by them. And again, the loss of Zelina Vega it's minor compared to the bigger picture of what this might cost them in the long run. And like I said, it's their own fault. So we will find out kind of how that transpires. But yeah, and that's why I think we we, we went a bit long on this, but I think that's why we're talking about it so much because it's- it I really is, didn't expect this to, by it's, the way. I, I mean, it's, it's, I find it really interesting. It, it's, a lot, it's a lot more than just Zelina Vega, you know, being let go or quitting or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's larger cultural- business right. things and that's why we went a bit longer it probably this probably was not the episode for us to talk about it on like <laughs> I honestly i probably should have saved it for next month uh, next tuesday's show considering it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show coming out of survivor series we'll already have the instant analysis in the can but selena vega i got so many messages about this and, and the, the dm came in i figured we'd talk about it so there's the talk um you know maybe it'll be something we, we revisit in the future if anyone has questions we can go into it and i want to say in case anyone is misunderstanding I'm not anti-union by any means. I'm pro-union as long as the work as long as workers feel like it it works for them. Uh, but in this situation, I just I don't necessarily know that it's the right move, and I don't know that there's going to be momentum behind it just because Andrew Yang says he's interested in helping the wrestlers in that regard. I do think changes will come. I'm very optimistic about that because WWE once again shot itself in the foot with something un un unforced. Um, but I don't know if it will actually be specifically a union. And that's the final take on it. All right. So let's talk about what else went down on Raw and SmackDown. Over on Raw, we had another tag team championship match, New Day against members of the Hurt Business, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. So running this back so soon, to me, it was like, oh, there's definitely going to be a title change here. It makes it ridiculous that they even had the match last week if you're going to run it back immediately after the pay-per-view. But at least they gave us a storyline for it with the backstage segment. I liked Alexander's intensity there. Kofi Kingston got taken out with the referee distracted in the match, and there was a double count out. MVP goaded them into restarting the match. Now, there's a lot of consternation about whether this was on purpose or not. Some people seem to believe, and I'm actually one of them, that this was a botch that the referee was counting too fast. Shelton Benjamin did not get into the ring in time. So they called it a double count out. And then MVP thought really well on his feet to figure out a way to get the match restarted. That's just a veteran move. So if so, great job by MVP. If not, 
horrible piece of booking for there to be a nonsensical double countout as opposed to just going to commercial break and coming back. But they came back. There was good action in the match. The finish came with Benjamin hitting the Olympic slam on Xavier Woods for two. Kingston then doing this really strange backdrop over the top rope onto Alexander and then Woods reversing a powerbomb into a sunset flip pinning combination for the win. So again, another roll up win, but okay, it was a hard fought match. This one was almost a little bit better than the Riddle Sheamus situation. So after all of that, okay, after beating Retribution, taking Retribution out, her business went 0-2-1 to New Day. So no wins, two losses, and a tie if, you know, for the double count out. And now they have no chance and no case to be a tag team title challenger on a show that does not have many tag teams to challenge for the titles. Both of the matches were very good. This one less so than their previous match. But man, it is strange booking for them to do the match last week, do the same match this week, and have the same result on both. I don't get it. It was a great opportunity to put the titles on her business. They definitely should have made a change here. Yeah, it's it's honestly what I expected. I I said after Survivor Series, I said, all right, New, New, New Day, you know, this is a great opportunity for them to drop the titles and get into a real feud. Um, but I don't know. They they beat her business twice. The her business should not get any more title chances. And honestly, I like I really liked the before the show backstage thing that they uh, filmed with with Cedric and and all of them basically convincing New Day to let them. Uh, get another chance. It was really well done. I was like, I want to see these guys more and more kind of interacting, but after two straight losses, I don't see any reason they should. So yeah, I, I the, the, the double count was weird. If, if, if that was double, if that was MVP thinking on his feet, kudos to him. I think it worked out. And I, I liked it, it. They covered it well too. Cause Kofi said he was tired and he wasn't sure if he wanted to do this again. Xavier kind of convinced him to do it. And then Tom Phillips said something like, basically, is the is is the pride getting in, in the way of New Day? You know, are they, are they too confident that they can keep doing this? And Which I, again made me think they were gonna lose. Yeah, and I was like, that's a great, that's a yeah. great, it's a great story to build up, and they're gonna lose. And yeah, there we go. And then they just didn't. I was like, oh, all right. So yeah, it was it was weird. Um, and I'm not sure where it goes next. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a situation where New Day's fighting a match against some other people and her business attacks them and puts them through a table or uses tables, ladders, and chairs. And then they get a TLC match, tag team match, and that's where they lose the titles on the pay-per-view. Then you get a third match. But it just, it doesn't, it feels like you didn't need to run back another tag team title match. They could have had Alexander, like they built it up in that backstage segment. They could have had Xavier Woods go, you know what? No, the titles are not on the line. This is our night off. This is New Day's Mm -hmm. night off but it's not my night off. I will take you on one-on-one tonight. And had Cedric Alexander and Xavier Woods go head-to-head because that was really the, the feud that it looked like they were building backstage. Have Alexander win. Then you next week do something with Shelton and Kofi. You have Shelton win. And now you've extended the storyline and now you give them another opportunity. New Day wins. Great. They move on. Or you set up the tag team match for TLC and you have Hurt Business win and take the titles. So... That's how you do it. I just don't know why they did it this way. It feels like next week, somehow, they're just going to beg for another opportunity. Like, that's just, I don't know yeah, what else I, they're going to do. Yeah, I don't know. So, okay, let's move on. Uh, we also had Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax against Asuka and Lana in a non-title match. 
This actually started as a Raw women's title match. Lana was so happy-go-lucky backstage as the sole survivor, so Asuka challenged her because she had mentioned her name previously. Uh, Baszler and Jax jumped on commentary before the match began. The whole thing lasted 30 seconds before Asuka dumped water on them and they attacked her, but Lana saved Asuka from taking a Samoan drop through the announce table. Lana put up a bit of a fight during the tag team match that followed. She ducked as Jax charged at her outside the ring and then flew over the announce table, which was a pretty cool spot. And then Asuka caught Baszler from behind for a roll-up win. Again, a third roll-up win on one show, but again, in this situation, better than the Sheamus-Matt Riddle one in terms of why it happened and, and Baszler being over the top rope and you know it making sense from that respect. Lana broke the Samoan drop streak, so I think it ends at nine, which was actually disappointing, but nevertheless, I guess storyline-wise makes sense. Look, there's nothing I have against Lana, really, but I don't know where this is going because she really is no good in the ring. And unlike others who started out maybe not that great, Carmella, as an example, Carmella got way better. Carmella is legit in the ring now. She's mm-hmm. not one of the best, but she totally holds her own in any match that she's in. Lana's not there. She has some moves down. I actually find it crazy that she's married to Miro, lives with him, and yeah, they're not going to train against each other like high intensity, but man, he's such a good wrestler. You would think that he'd be able to really get her going and teach her a lot, but it just it's she's very robotic in the ring. I guess maybe they're going to do a tag team title match that Baszler and Jax will win by pinning Lana, then they'll move on. But I just don't know what the move is long-term for Lana. I don't see how the resolution of this is anything that benefits her, I guess, other than making her seem like a capable jobber. Yeah, so the WWE Chronicle on Lana that went up over, I think it went up over the weekend. Um, I watched it before Survivor Series. It was, I thought it was really good. And it really kind of made you kind of care about Lana as a person. And they And they addressed this very thing. And Lana said, because they're not running house shows, she's not getting the experience in the ring that she wants or feels like she needs. So she's been training with Natty and Tyson Kidd a lot to, right. to try to stay fresh. So I, I thought, again, that's another thing that I thought it was interesting. And yeah, she is. She's not there yet. I don't know if she will be there yet. I I think she's a great uh Manager can do can do a lot of different things. Obviously, a championship match with Oscar is not it. I don't know what her future is, but um, you know, with, with a lot of people, I still think there could be different roles for her, and, and we'll see where it goes. And just again, Survivor Series, they could they, they built up a lot of goodwill for her. They they made her a sympathetic babyface, and then they've kind of just uh, squandered that here a little bit. Well, that's the other thing with with this whole deal. It's that, like, Natalia and Lana was actually working for me as a tag team. Now, maybe they would never have been champions, but I thought it was elevating both of them. Natalia got someone to build her up as the boat, you know, the stupid gimmick that she has, but she had someone to build her up. And in theory, and maybe in reality, Lana had someone helping her improve in the ring and maybe making up for her shortcomings. Lana actually does need to be in a tag team. But I don't know that doing it, certainly not with Asuka, that's not going to work long term. Natalia was really the right choice. And they split them up seemingly for no reason. I just wish they had kept them together. So 
All right, we'll move on. We'll stick with the women. Uh, Alexa Bliss defeated Nikki Cross one-on-one. There was a great, great Firefly Funhouse that tied in both of the feuds of Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt together. We saw the debut of Friendship Frog. Uh, Bliss got possessed by the Fiend and then beat the frog with the symbol that uh, Wyatt used against Randy Orton. I laughed out loud, legitimately, at the video package uh, remembering the life of Friendship Frog <laughs> the, from 1980 so to 2020. By the way, 1980, also the year Randy Orton is born. Oh, how about that? <laughs> so I think Friendship Frog may have been the equivalent of Randy Orton in that situation. Um, that whole Firefly Funhouse was just truly entertaining for me. I also liked, by the way, I think it was new, uh, Nikki Cross's new theme. Not so much because it fit her. It didn't. It's very poppy. Yeah. But it has a ton of lyrics behind it. And it doesn't feel like just generic music. It seems like it's actually something they put together. So I want to hear it a few more times. But anytime there's effort put into a theme, I just give that appreciation to it. I also love the Fiend remix of Alexa Bliss's theme. That's awesome with the heavy bass drops. Just really freaking cool. Uh, Bliss tricked Nikki into a hug during the match because she started crying midway through, acting like she was confused and didn't know what was happening with her. As she was hugging Nikki, she put her right into the sister Abigail, got the win. I didn't find the match very exciting, but I loved the storytelling and I loved the Firefly Funhouse. So I thought overall, this was a big win. Yeah, and yeah, just good, good stuff all around. Firefly, Firefly Funhouse was great. Um, I, I, I liked the idea of the new puppet and then I was sad he was gone and then they give me the... The, the the video in memoriam um, they they got me there so it was just it, it was good all around and and when Alexa was going through the crying stuff in the ring and then that turned out to be a, a fake I mean it, it made me think that there's like that there's a story they could tell her if they wanted to longer term with Nikki Cross where the real Alexa Bliss is still in there sometimes and and the the, the fiend is just kind of suppressing that. And sometimes the real Alexa Bliss comes out and Nikki Cross has to kind of work to get her friend back. I don't know how you do that in the context of pro wrestling necessarily, but um, Alexa is just really good at at acting and displaying these emotions that that I think there was uh, maybe something you could uh, do like that. Just that, that was a thought that came to mind when, when I saw the way that match ended. And then last here, uh, Daniel Bryan over back on SmackDown wanting revenge. I probably should have bumped this up at like, the top of this segment, but whatever. Uh, Daniel Bryan wanting revenge uh, on Jimmy, sorry, not Jimmy, Jay Uso and Roman Reigns for his attack a couple weeks ago. Before his promo backstage, Sami Zayn got in his face. Bryan slapped him and Zayn promised revenge. I thought that was interesting considering it's pretty clear that Bryan is headed for a main event program with Roman Reigns, whether it's in December or January. So I was pretty surprised to see an interaction with Sami Zayn, but it also kept things interesting because now I don't know exactly what direction they're going to do. Uh, Brian's promo in that moment was on point. He looks kind of rejuvenated with the new haircut. And big, I, was just, I am a big fan of the new haircut and the new. Yeah, he, me too. Every just little tweaks here and there, I think, go a long way, especially for a guy who as plain looking as he kind of is, his look uh, is, you know, part of his character. It's also funny now to hear him doing dad jokes with like a modern haircut, <laughs> you know, because he's corny. Like, Dan, that's yeah. just what he is, you know. Um, but anyway, so then we got a match, Daniel Bryan versus Jay Uso. 
This match started hot. I believe this was the main event with Brian getting back body dropped through the announce table. Jay hit a super kick and drove his knee into Brian's kidneys as he took a beating in the middle of the match. Brian hit an awesome uh, back suplex from atop the ring post and was ready for the finish, but Jay hit some super kicks. Brian caught his splash, wrapping him in a pinning combination, another pinning combination rather than a finisher, for the one, two, three. So you see the repetitiveness here of not just using finishers to win matches. Again, it's okay to use some, but all of these, a couple we got at the pay-per-view, it was a lot in a seven-day period, or actually not even a seven-day period, four-day period. We got a lot of roll-up finishes uh, from WWE. So this was a really good match, of course. Brian and Uso, always entertaining. I just don't know really what, what they're going to do. Are they going Brian and Reigns? I hope they are. But I also believe, since Daniel Bryan is not someone who needs to be in the Royal Rumble match, it feels to me like that should be the main event of the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan. It's a match we've all wanted to see with Reigns as a heel and Bryan as a face. It seems like the groundwork is there. But WWE, they do this weird thing where they don't necessarily save the biggest matches for the biggest pay-per-views, which always bothers me because it's like, why should I be suckered into like Roman Reigns versus, I can't even honestly think of someone. Uh, I don't know who another contender would be right now on SmackDown, but Roman Reigns versus a secondary type of challenger at Royal Rumble when I can get Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan. And instead they give me Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan at TLC. It seems like a weird complaint, but I would rather that be built up for a major match at a major pay-per-view and not have it be even a second match where if you get Reigns, Daniel Bryan at TLC and Jay interferes, then they do a steel cage match or something at Royal Rumble. I just, sometimes you don't need multiple matches. You don't need two main events for consecutive pay-per-views. You can build it up over two months. So I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe this is pessimism and it's unfounded. Maybe Brian is going to go against Zayn and Uso is going to cost him the Intercontinental title. So then he'll turn his focus to the WWE Championship. I don't know what they're going to do, but I just hope, my hope is ultimately that we get Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, main event, Royal Rumble. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, during the pandemic, they're just trying to give you the best things they can at all times to keep ratings high, to keep networks subscriptions high. I, I'm sure that's part of it. The other part is that, you know, they've been really hurt the last several years when they had some 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 big matches planned and somebody gets hurt. You know, how, how long were they trying to do the Shield triple threat match and they just couldn't do it forever because someone was always hurt and then they eventually gave it to us at, I think, Battleground or something like that? An equivalent, for sure, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, may maybe they're just thinking, hey, th we, we have the opportunity to do it. Let's just do it. I, I mean, this is the time of year where, again, they should have their WrestleMania main events in mind, planned something, if it's Biggie, if it's The Rock, if it's whatever. Um so in, if that's the case, then maybe you, you do Daniel Bryan here for a couple of pay-per-views before WrestleMania. Um, maybe we do Roman Biggie or Roman Rock or something. So um, I, I think this makes sense. We, you know, the storyline makes sense. We figured this would be the, the, the first way to do it. And yeah, we're excited for heel Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan if we get there, um, uh, which is something that we wanted forever. And it didn't quite get it because it was not the way Vince wanted it. So if we were to get something like that, 
even if it's at a TLC, maybe do it at a TLC and a Royal Rumble. I think it'd be, I think it would work fine. Whatever you do, you can give me Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan twice. You don't need to tell me why. It would be fine. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is what happened with um, the Shield Triple Threat. It was all three of them at Battleground, and then which was in July. Yeah, <laughs> one month before SummerSlam, mm-hmm. right? Where you could have easily had that. And if memory serves, um, I think I, they. Ended I think up- they had wanted to do the Shield Triple Threat the, the, that year at WrestleMania, maybe, and and, and somebody was hurt. Out of it, just but but they did it. But they did it one month before. SummerSlam and the way it transpired was Seth Rollins ended up getting the Universal Championship match against Finn Balor that year where you know the, the that title was I think introduced and they had to crown the first champion I believe mm-hmm. that was what the situation was there and then Dean Ambrose defended against Dolph Ziggler and I don't even remember why Ziggler was in that spot maybe it was supposed to be Reigns and Reigns, I don't think was on the pay-per-view if memory serves. Um, or, or he was supposed to, Reigns was supposed to fight Rusev, I think on the pay-per-view. And you're just like, okay, why are you having Reigns Rusev? And I believe that, I believe I have this right. Why are you having Reigns Rusev and Ambrose Ziggler when you could have had Ambrose Reigns, right? Or just done the triple threat on this show. So Again, you know, uh, and the circumstances, again, prevented that Reigns-Rusev match from happening. I forgot exactly how that even I, I have no memory transpired <laughs> where it didn't get down. Yeah, if memory serves, it might have been like for the U.S. title and Reigns like got attacked or he attacked Rusev. I don't even remember what exactly happened, but it was just it was stupid, right? You, all three guys were on the pay-per-view. You could have had the Shield triple threat on the show and they didn't. And instead they did it at Battleground. So that's similar to what I'm talking about here. You can have Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan potentially at Royal Rumble. So instead of doing it at TLC and then making Roman Reigns Dolph Ziggler <laughs> at, at Royal Rumble, give me what I want. Like, give me the full Batista. Give me the match that people want to see. By the way, Chris, at the event where this whole Roman Reigns booing started happening, where people turned on him because... Daniel Bryan returned and they didn't put Daniel Bryan over in that Royal Rumble. Reigns was the one who was going to go over. So the crowd just lost it on him. That began Reigns' downward spiral of WWE force feeding us him as a face. And it was in large part because Daniel Bryan returned at that event and everyone wanted him to win. So Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble is the match we need to happen. Yeah, maybe it'll be part two and maybe the first part will be a TLC. But if they do this feud, and they don't have that match at the Royal Rumble, I'm going to be personally insulted by it. Yeah. All right. So that is it for this week's WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 97 of the show, which means episode 100 is coming next week. As I announced on Twitter, it will be a special episode taped on Wednesday, December 2nd. The first version of a long series that's going to be sporadic, unscheduled on this podcast called The Great Debates, where I'm going to have some special guests on the show to debate some of the biggest arguments in wrestling history. Everything from Brett versus Sean, WWE versus WCW, NWO versus DX, whatever it is, there's going to be three topics. It's going to be a special show on Wednesday for our 100th episode. 
We also have a ton of stuff coming in the month of December. As I've said, I've already booked two interviews. The following Wednesday, the second Wednesday in December will be the first of those big interviews. So we've got a couple multiple episode weeks coming up as we go forward. Maybe there will be some familiar faces that are on the podcast over that period of time. Chris will certainly be with me talking WWE. We will still have our AEW and NXT episode. There is going to be plenty to come from getting over in the month of December. Now, our next episode, AEW and NXT That will be on Thursday, which is also Thanksgiving. I'm going to tape it first thing in the morning. In fact, I may even tape it Wednesday night after those shows. I have not yet figured out my scheduling. But either way, we will have an episode on Thanksgiving to talk about the latest and greatest from NXT and AEW. That will be episode 98 of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But 97 is now in the books again Do not forget to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Do not forget to follow the Silver King on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Most importantly, follow this damn show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please, if you're a first-time listener, find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to audio and subscribe. And of course, for everyone else, do not forget to leave us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I've said my piece. Chris has said his piece. That means there's one more person left to say goodbye. Thank you all for listening. I got just three words left for you. Bye for now.